And so today is going to be uh, an understanding of something in the beginning of a series that I want to do over the next few weeks that I encourage you to be at because I promise you this will be the most profound, life-changing message you have ever heard in your life, other than the one that brought you to Jesus. This message is so potent for where we are today. This has happened to me many times being a pastor, counseling. I, I remember one occasion talking to a son, and this son was pouring out his heart to me. He was an adult son, but he was pouring, like, you know, a young adult, and he was pouring out his heart to me about his issues and challenges and whatever, and then we got around to his dad, and he told me that his dad, him and his dad didn't get on, and, and him and his dad didn't have a great relationship, and, and he didn't really feel like, and as I pressed a bit further, he really didn't feel loved by his dad. And the funny part was I'd only talked to his dad a few days earlier and his dad was just bragging on his son how much he loved his son, how much his son was amazing, how much his son was incredible. And here I am three days later, the son wondering if his dad even loved him. I think this is the great malaise in the world. I think the great malaise in our world today is not feeling loved. People leave marriages every day because they don't feel loved. They may be loved, but they don't feel loved. People leave churches because they don't feel loved. People leave relationships because they don't feel loved. People uh, uh, kind of go in their own direction because they don't feel loved. I think it's the great, great problem of our world is why we may be able to give some love to some people. We rarely feel as loved as we should be. And it's interesting because when you go to the Bible, Luke 15 talks about the prodigal son. Who's heard the prodigal son story? We all have, right? We know this story, but do we? You see, as I look at this story with fresh eyes, what I see is this. I see the story of two sons who don't feel loved. I see one son leaving, demanding his inheritance before time. Why would you do that? If you felt loved, if you felt safe within your father's uh, uh, relationship, why would you do that? Why would you do that to your dad if you really felt loved? And on the other hand, we've got a son who's faithful, but also doesn't feel loved. The older brother doesn't feel loved either. I've been with you this whole time. You've never thrown a party for me, he says. We have this younger son who doesn't feel loved, this older son who doesn't feel loved, two sons who don't feel loved, and yet they are loved. And they both have different reactions. And these are the reactions that I see in people everywhere, in marriages, in churches. You see, if you don't get a revelation of God's love for you, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and really get a revelation of that, then you might be like the oldest son where you're faithful and you're committed, but you're miserable. Or you'll leave because you're in search of something that you feel like you're missing in the place that you are. This story reveals to us the complications of our fathers and sons and daughters in life. You know, the father said to the oldest son, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. But the oldest son doesn't feel loved when the youngest son comes back and his father throws the party. This is what Paul writes in Galatians chapter four. He says this, what I'm saying is that as long as the, 
as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, if you don't get it, even though it's yours, you'll never possess it as yours. So God was saying, listen, you are under my grace. You are under my favor. And I want you to, I want you to hear this, this message today because I've been praying a lot about this. I feel like God wants to get something deeper than our performance contractual kind of relationship that we have with God. This kind of transactional uh, posture we have with God. And, 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 you know, I feel like with dads, you know, mum has to do a hundred things wrong for us to write her off. Dad just does hundred things right, but one thing wrong, and we're not sure. Kind of works like that. It's a bit like law and grace. We can hear a hundred messages about God's favor, God's love, God's grace. And we want to believe it. And then we hear one message about law, do's, don'ts, whatever else. And we've forgotten everything about grace. And we've embraced law again. We've embraced do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. As opposed to understanding God's great love for you and I. And so I want to take you on this journey over the next three weeks to unpack all of this because when you get this revelation, I promise you, you will no longer be the Christian you are today. And if you've had it, then you are no longer the Christian you were before because it's so fundamentally transforming that life is never the same again. When you understand how loved you are as opposed to how much love you have for God, it changes every dynamic. I don't know about you, but I spent the first half of my life trying to please God, trying to love God, same with my own dad, trying to please my dad, trying to win trophies, trying to do all these things to get my dad's approval and my dad's love ultimately is what I was after. And we spend our whole life trying to be a good person. And guess what? It doesn't produce in us the stability and the greatness that we're after. Only God's love for us. I remember when Benjamin, who was, uh, when he was younger, was very expressive and he would tell me how much he loved me. So he liked to use different things. And so one day he loved me, you know, more than three elephants. The next week it'd be, I love you more than a thousand Chinese dinners. And then it was literally, I love you more than, it was summer, it was, I love you, four, love you more than 400 watermelons. And that for him was telling me how much he really loved me. Because that, that moment was his, his prized thing. And I was like, wow, he loves me more than watermelons. That's awesome. I knew what his heart was saying to me. I knew what he was trying to tell me. But every day it would change. It'd be up one day, down the next day, depending on all kinds of things. And God wants us to understand his love in a different way. We don't want to have a God who, who's like, you know, dad, some of our dads that kind of, we think they love us, but they haven't told us for about 20 years. And if they ever do, it'd be nice. We don't we have that kind of relationship with God. I want you to imagine the Last Supper as Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas and they're sitting around. And it says in, in verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is now Peter professing his love for Jesus. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have disowned me three times. His love for Jesus, Peter was basing it on his ability to love Jesus. 
I'm going to love you. It doesn't matter if they all leave you. It doesn't matter who betrays you. Jesus, I'm going to love you. Six hours later, nah, don't even know who that guy is. Who is he? I don't even know him. Never seen him in my life. He's disappeared. Why? Because the strength of your love for God varies on a daily basis. John, on the other hand, who's writing this gospel, by the way, you don't read this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, but you read this in John's gospel, right? It says this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John writing about himself. Think about that, right? I'm the one that dad loves, right? Peter's like, I love you, Jesus. And John just, Jesus loves me. <laughs> Keep going, Pete. That's awesome. Keep trying. Good luck. And John is, had a revelation about how much Jesus loves him and writes it in the gospel about himself. So that six hours later, and you know, the next day when Jesus is crucified, where's Peter, who's professed his great love for Jesus? He's vanished. And where's John? Let's read it. In verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and her sister, as well as Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. I'm entrusting you to the one I love. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. So that from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. He was the only disciple at the foot of the cross when the crucifixion took place. The rest had gone because they had built their life upon their love for Jesus. John had built his life upon Jesus' love for him. So in the darkest hours of being shaken to the very core, everything you believed has now come crashing down. What's happened to the guys that have built their love, their love on Jesus and built their faith upon that, they've disappeared. But the one that's built himself on the love Jesus has for him is rock solid. You see, you and I, and there are people you and I know that have vanished from the Christian faith. Why? Because they try to keep up this idea of loving God, loving God, loving God, loving God. Then they gave up or someone offended them rather than I know I'm loved by Jesus. Can you see the difference? I remember being out sailing with someone and, and in fact, I, I was out with the boys uh, in Cancun. We were out in the water and, I, and you could, we were near the coastline and we are out in a boat and there was a lot of waves and whatever. And one of the boys started feeling sick. And I said to him, see the hotels in the distance. I want you to keep your eyes fixed on that. I said, don't look at the waves. Don't look at the water. Don't look what's going on. Just keep your eyes fixed on that, that object that I told you, that hotel in the distance. And as they did, their sickness started to subside. They were getting seasick, right? And their sickness started to subside. Why? Because when you focus on what's going around about you, it's going to make you sick. But if you focus on the thing that never changes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be okay. 
And see, in our lives, there are so many things trying to chop us around, tip us upside down, make us worried, make us fearful, make us angry, make us uh, uh, grieve, make us concerned. And if I build my life on what I believe about Jesus instead of what Jesus believes about me, then I'm not gonna make it through the storms of life. But if I focus on the thing that never changes, the same yesterday, today, and forever, then my life is gonna make its way to calmer waters because Jesus is my peace. The second thing that happens, and we're only gonna go through a couple of points later, next week I'm gonna unpack so many things to you, and the week after, is that when you live your life based on His love for you rather than your love for Him, if you realize how much He loves you, if you just realize how much Jesus loves you, how much your Father in heaven loves you, how much He's committed to you as a person, how much He cares about what's going on in your work, about what's going on in your family, what's going on in the frustrations of your dreams not being realized at the time you want them realized. If you only understood how much and how involved emotionally he was with what was going on in your, what's going on in your life, you would be shocked. It's why the shortest verse in the Bible in John eleven thirty five 35 is Jesus wept. Why? Because he wanted us to know when he saw people that he loved, it caused him to feel the emotion of that moment. And when we go through a moment, when we go through a season, when we go through a storm, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you and he's there to be your calm, to be your peace, to be your joy in the midst of all of that. You'll never become an overcomer. Let me just say this to you. Let's just shift tax for a minute. If you wanna become an overcomer in life, right? We're living in a world where, hey, don't overcome, just be a victim, great, get a trophy for that. But really in life, you'll never be happy that way. You're only happy when you overcome. When you overcome those problems in your life, you're happier, you're more content. When you overcome, how do we become overcomers? Not by hard, just hard work and resilience, not by having that character, it's by having a revelation that I'm being held by the strongest person in the universe who cares about me and God loves me, my Father loves me. The greatest revelation that I've had in my life and it took me 50 years to get it, is that my Father actually loves me in such a way. Yes, I knew He loved me to die for me. Yes, I knew He loved me to send Jesus, so on, rah, rah, rah. But to love me now in the moment, in my crisis, in my heights and in my depths, yes, I knew it as a theoretical idea, but to feel the emotion of that gushing through myself, my being, my soul and my mind was so transforming. You can't shake me loose. You can't knock me over, why? because I'm supported by the arms of my Father. He's the one who gives me the strength to overcome. He's the one that gets me keep going, right? Oh, I'm getting fired up now. I'm I'm trying to smile as well, but I just want you to know it's what gets you moving. Honestly, if you wanna be an overcomer, you gotta know you can do it by grit and determination or you can do it by the grace that comes. The Bible says this, the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus. 
Grace means favor. That means the favor of God is towards me. His eyes are towards me. Me getting saved is not just about having a ticket to heaven one day. And this is what the Bible says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that I might know Him. Eternal life is not a destination. Terminal, ter, uh, terminal life. Eternal life. <laughs> eternal life is a state of being, a state of relationship. Eternal life is my relationship with Jesus. When I know my Father loves me, it changes everything. I'm not this religious person that gets filled with all these do's and don'ts and that's wrong and that's wrong and they're terrible and whatever. And You're trying to live up to something. Guess what happens? The grace and the love of God, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my effort, even though I'm getting, my only effort is to get close to Him. As I get close to Him, He produces that fruit in my life. But to be loved by your Father, makes you an overcomer. I want you to take, take you to the water, waters of baptism when Jesus was being baptized. And in Matthew 3.16, it says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, then heaven opened and he saw God's spirit coming down on him. We talked about this last week, like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, what? This is my son, whom I love and I'm very pleased with him. This is not just a moment to say the obvious, well, this is Jesus, he's the son of God. This was a father expressing his emotion towards his son. This is my son whom, I, he could have said anything else. Here's my son, he's very powerful. This is my son, he's gonna be an amazing evangelist. No, he doesn't say that. This is my son whom I love. The most important message, the only two times where God speaks audibly in the Bible in the New Testament, right, to Jesus is at the River Jordan, at the Mount of Transfiguration, and He says exactly the same thing. This is my son whom I love, and I'm well pleased with him. What does God wanna get through to us? No, not that you're a bad person, get better, whatever. He wants you to know first, I love you. I love you so much. I'm with you. I'm by your side. I'm your right hand so you are not shaken. Underneath are the everlasting arms. You can't get any lower. He's holding you even when you think you're carrying yourself. And He wants you to know it and He wanted Jesus to know it. Why does Jesus need to know it? And if Jesus needs to know it, you need to know it. I need to know it. Got to calm down, just teach. It says this. Then the next thing it says is this, that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And then there's a test of the revelation. And what does the devil do? The devil comes along to him, and we know the story. It says, hey, turn these rocks into, you know, these stones into bread, and then takes him to the top of the temple, cast yourself down, then bow to me, rah, rah, rah. And what the devil does is very insidious and very sneaky and just typical of the devil. What does he say? He doesn't say, if you're the loved son of God. He doesn't say, if you're the cherished son of God. He doesn't say, remember that revelation at the River Jordan when God, the windows of heaven opened and God boomed down with a voice and said, I love my son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. No, what does the devil do? Drop one word. If you're the son of God, not the love son of God, 
the Son of God. Why? Because if I can get you to forget that you're loved, you're going to be vulnerable to temptation. If I can get you to forget that you are loved by your heavenly Father, you will quit under pressure. And as those 40 days of pressure continue to build and build, if I can get you to forget that you're loved, I've got you. And that's how the devil works with you and I. Guess what he does? Just drops the word loved. You're not loved. You're not good enough. God doesn't think you're good enough. You're not doing well enough. You're not performing good enough. And what does that do? Bring us down, make us susceptible, and boom, devil got us. God wants to reveal to you how much He loves you. You see, sin loses its power when you know you're loved. Loneliness loses its power when you know you're loved. Failure loses its power when you know you are loved. Fear loses its power when you know you are loved. Life loses its impossibilities and inabilities when you know that you're loved. I remember many years ago when Nathan, the blonde one, the middle one, Nathan was, I don't know, three years, three years of age or something like that, and Mark was five. And we were in a place called the Gold Coast in Australia, which is like Miami, except much nicer. <laughs> it's like 100 miles of high-rise, clean, beautiful, golden sands, and all those uh, canals that go back behind Miami. That's what it's like in the Gold Coast. So we were staying at someone's house uh, who was away, and we were staying at the house, and at the back of the house, there was a canal. Canal weaves around and goes into the ocean. And so the boys wanted to play on the beach. So we go down, there's a little beach, there's only a tiny little beach into the, into the canal. And there's a massive fence. So I have to open this massive gate. And then as we get past it, the gate shuts. And so it's one of the ones you have to pull up. And now we're on this beach. And then Mark said, let's go in the little boat. There was a rickety little boat that was pulled up on the shore. I wasn't even sure it could, it could float. But Mark was the adventurous one. So I'm like, okay, let's go. And so we got in this little rickety boat, Mark and I. Nathan is oblivious sitting on the shore, just playing with the water, playing with the sand. And we just start to row out. I start to row out. And right next to us was this big sea uh, wall. It was like all these massive rocks piled up to create the canals, right? They were all there. So we were rowing out perpendicular to the beach. I say the beach is over there. And I'm rowing out. The wall is here. And I'm rowing out so I'm close enough to here but we're getting further out, Mark's having a great time, et cetera, et cetera. But as I get further out, suddenly I spot something to the right. And there'd been these dogs that had been barking the whole time we'd be out there with the kids. And now three Rottweilers have jumped the fence and they've jumped into the water and they're swimming towards my little three-year-old blonde-headed little boy sitting on the beach. We're right out here, right? And so I'm trying to yell at Nathan, he's deaf, he can't hear a thing, you know, he's just kind of in his own world. Nathan, the dogs are coming. And the dogs literally jump in the water, heading straight to him. So I remember doing my very best with this rickety, rickety little old, old boat. I got an oar and I tried to get close. Then I grabbed Mark, I remember by one hand and I threw him, this is what dads do, mums would never do this. But dad, I throw him literally about six feet in the air, land on top of the bank. I stand up and fall on the rocks, cut myself, and then suddenly I get up on the wall and it was like a seawall that went all the way past about six houses back to the beach. So now 
I'm running down this, this wall, literally, it was a race against time. It was like the born identity, right? It was like me on here running and the dogs. Will the dogs get to the kid and kill him? Or will the dad get to the kid and kill the dogs? That's the question, right? And I'm running, literally, so fast down these things. Man, I, I surprised myself how good I was. It's like a, you know, a cross between Forrest Gump and Carl Lewis, the famous runner. And I'm running down this thing, running down this thing, running out, and it's getting closer. George, And literally, I ran down and I got there just as the dogs were reaching, like literally a foot of water. And I jumped down and I thought, what? And I picked up my son and I grabbed him and put him over the other side of the fence. And then I went out to fight the, and I decided that in the split moment, the only way to beat three Rottweilers is when they're in the water, is once they get on land, they're gonna kill you. So I grabbed this post and I run out into the water and I start smashing it, forget all the ASPCA and all that stuff. I'm just bashing these dogs. Get away from my kid, get away from my kid, get away from my kid. Well, they got the message as dad got angrier and angrier and smashing and smashing. They turned around and they ticked off. And Nathan's oblivious to the whole thing. So here's my question. Nathan was completely oblivious at all. Well, question is this, was it Nathan's love for me that saved him? Or was it my love for him? So often we think it's about our love. Nathan's love for me had nothing to do with the outcome. My love for him had everything to do with the outcome. And if you would understand and grasp this by faith and by revelation, how loved you are by your Father in heaven. On Father's Day 2023, the greatest gift that you can receive is to receive the love and also the revelation of the love of your Father for you. If you did that, I'm promising you, fear would disappear things would become easier. Your confidence would rise. Your resilience would grow. Your strength in every situation would be strong because I'm not representing myself. I have my dad with me. And parents, we all know it. You've been through those situations with your kid where you step in to protect them. They're oblivious to the danger that's around about them, but you stepped in to save them. It wasn't their love for you. It was your love for them. Why do we fool ourselves into thinking it's about our love? Look at Peter. His love for Jesus made him deny him because it's up and down. Today he loved him. The next day he's, no, I don't know him. John, on the other hand, stable. Good times, bad times. He loves me. He loves me. It's all gonna work out. He loves me. And if you'll come on this journey for the next three weeks, there is so much more. We don't have time today. So we've got food to eat, right? But over the next three weeks, I'm gonna unpack so much more deeply into the scriptures about this revelation that will transform you and set you free forever.